Welcome to the 25th episode of the Socks and Soul podcast. Man, time flies. For years leading up to this, I've wanted to do a podcast showcasing what is possible if you put your mind to it, talking to dreamers and business owners and people that make cool stuff happen in their lives. So 25 episodes in, it it's uh, starting to feel real. I'm excited about uh, where we've where we've come from and and for what the future might hold for us. If this is your first time, thank you for joining and uh, feel free to stick around. Whether you're looking forward, whether you're looking for inspiration or great stories or just want something uplifting to listen to while you drive or shovel or mow your lawn or pass time, uh, you have found it. And our show is available on lots of platforms. Uh, obviously, the one you're listening on: Apple, Spotify, Google, Pandora, Stitcher, Amazon, iHeartRadio. It's even available to watch on YouTube. So if you want to check us out there, you can watch the video stream of the uh, of the interviews. Uh, one cool trick: you can even ask Alexa, Google Assistant, or Siri to play the Socks and Soul podcast. So little trick there if you just want to have it playing in your house while you're mopping the floor or cleaning cobwebs, or whatever's going on in your house. Uh, If you get a chance to review the show, I would really appreciate that. Reviews on Apple Podcasts and on our Facebook page are especially helpful. Uh, If you've already done it, I can't thank you enough. If you haven't, and you want to take a minute to do that, it would mean a great deal to me. So, I love today's interview. Mark Wheeler is uh, a super inspirational guy. He is totally awesome. He's got this great motto that he lives by. It's uh, live fearlessly into the dreams uniquely written upon your heart. And we'll talk about that in the podcast and throughout the show and exactly why he came up with that and, you know, what it means to write something on your heart and how that kind of shaped some of the adventures and the things that he's done in his life. He's got some great experiences. He's got a whole amazing list of accomplishments that he's done and uh, doesn't seem to be slowing down. Even though he's in his 50s, he's going about as full steam ahead as you could possibly be. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the Socks and Soul podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Ditto. Let's go. On the line with me now is Mark Wheeler. Mark, thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you, Kelly. Good to be together today. So, so Mark, why don't you just quick introduce yourself to my audience? Because the, your list of accomplishments is way too long for me to remember because my short-term memory uh, is very, very, very short. Uh, and so you, you do a lot, a lot of awesome stuff, and, and I don't want to miss any of it. So introduce yourself to my audience, if you would, please. Well, thanks, Kelly. Uh, yeah, I'm 56 years old, uh, married to my high school sweetheart, Susan. Uh, we've been married for, ooh, I should know that number. Like, I should really know that number, shouldn't I, Kelly? A lot of years right now. I think we're at uh, year 28. Now in our marriage, we have two awesome kids. We have a daughter who's 25, married, and uh, two years into marriage, our son, our younger, just graduated from the United States Air Force Academy in May, and he's now uh, in fighter pilot training. And, and uh, so two amazing kids who are a constant source of inspiration to me. Uh, I serve as uh, uh, vice president for external relations at a private university. That's my, uh, my day job. Uh, but I've had since I was a kid kind of a, a wanderlust. And uh, Susan and I have hunted and adventured and traveled in 71 countries around the world. Uh, just absolutely love different cultures, people hearing their stories, just experiencing different places. And uh, a number of years ago, Susan and I and our kids headed off in our sailboat for a year and a half and spent a year and a half sailing around uh, Central America, the Car- Western Caribbean, Cuba, uh, the northern part of South America. And it was an amazing experience. And then uh, I also do a lot of ultra marathon and uh, ultra endurance events. And uh, have so had the privilege of uh, running and competing both uh, sort of locally, nationally and internationally as, as an endurance athlete. So um, not a whole lot of grass grows under my feet, but that's been the case. My mom tells me since uh, since I popped out of the womb. And so uh, uh, anyway, just love living life and, uh, you know, like seeing what every day has to offer. It, you know, you, I, I, the first question that pops into my head, Mark, is have you always, was there a time in your life where you felt like 
you did something out of the ordinary and you were like, wait a minute, that was awesome? Or have you always been the guy that's just been able to buck the norm of whatever everyone else is doing? You know, that's an interesting question, Kelly, because uh, I think, frankly, if you were to ask people who um, who know me, for example, like my wife, when we talk about, you know, our times in, in high school and stuff, um, you know, she would, I think, tell you that I was kind of the guy that was on the edge and, you know, and always kind of pushing the boundaries or pushing the limits. But, you know, I grew up in a very traditional conservative home. I, I, I never felt like I was that guy. I felt like I was the guy that followed the rules, you know, did what I was supposed to do, you know, never got in a bunch of trouble, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and so it's odd my self-perception and then the perception of others, right? And so oftentimes those are two different things. And so if you were to ask me personally, I'd just tell you, I'm just this sort of regular boring guy that just goes out occasionally and goes on long runs. Um, yet, you know, my wife and others who know we would say, yeah, no, that's probably not the best way to describe you. So uh, I don't know that, that that's an interesting question, Kelly, because uh, so often, you know, the way we view ourselves is so different, right. Than, than, than the way others might view us from the outside looking in. You, you just seem to exude this, attitude of, I've never really cared what other people think about me, you know? And, and I think that that is a, I think it's a great quality to have, you know, I've, you know, not to the point that you're socially aloof, but you're one of those guys that, you know, you, you just, you, you live life on your terms, you know, for lack of a better term. And, and I really, I've always really appreciated that about, about you. I, you know, I appreciate that, Kelly. One of the things, um, and I would say a short answer, and I'll explain it, is that I think that's a, I think that's a mindset that I've developed as I've aged. I don't think I had that when I was 20 and 25. When I came back from Nicaragua, when I became the first person over 50 to be a Devil's Double champion and, and finished the Fuego y Agua survival run in Nicaragua, my son, who was then a uh, junior in high school, and a serious athlete himself, you know, one of the questions he asked me after, uh, after I come home, having done that was dad, are you finally going to believe me when I say, I think you can do anything you put your mind to. And I was able to look him in the eye and honestly say without a sense of arrogance, yes, Marshall, I, I do believe that. And so it's not something that I think was innately a part of who I was. I, second guest, I questioned, I doubted my abilities. I, I wondered if when the going got really tough, would I kind of fold? I always sort of felt like, you know, when things were going well and, and, and everything was kind of smooth, you know, Mark was right there, but man, when it got rough, I was always fearful in the back of my mind that if it got really hard, that I would cave, that, that I, that I would give up, you know, and it really was that, uh, it wasn't even lead man. Um, it, it was it was really the devil's double when after that, that I finally said, you know, could look at Marshall and say, yeah, I finally do believe that. But but it wasn't as if I just grew up that way. It's some it's something that yeah, I think I've developed over time, just taking little steps. Right. Each time you take one step up the mountain, you realize that step took energy, but the view's a little bit better from here. And then you take another step and another step and another step. And the view changes, oftentimes gets gets better. But then you realize when you get to the top of a peak, I can do that. And so there's a sense of confidence that you develop, I think, over time, uh, uh, attempting and then accomplishing small intermediate steps. You know, I didn't go from... Um, you know, being a high school 100 meter dash guy to being uh, an ultra marathon runner, a lead man and a devil's double champ. You don't do that in just one, you know, one decision, one step. There's all these incremental steps that happen along the way. And you, and and you, uh, you so felt that self-doubt as you went running along. And you had those both, moments of, uh, I don't know if I can really do this. Internationally as, as an endurance athlete. So, oh, in, in, in tremendous ways, Kelly. I mean, um, I mean, in tremendous ways. I mean, tears. Um, I mean, I can't tell you how many times in training for events, I've just sort of put my head down with tears running down my cheeks and thought, I can't do this. Right. Uh, and then laying in bed in the middle of the night, waking up going, this is nuts. What are you thinking? Uh, even, even when we decided as a, 
a family to go sailing, right? I mean, the, the, the implications of a decision like that to take your kids out of school, move on to a sailboat. We'd never owned a sailboat before. Uh, you know, I, I bought a sailboat. We flew to it. We got on and we left, right? That's not normal. Um, by by a long stretch of the imagination. But as you're leading up to that, you know, there's all these questions about goodness, are my kids going to hate this? Is it going to be an awful experience? You know, all those sorts of questions that you ask. Uh, I think part of um, part of the refining process is that you ask those questions. I think if you don't ask those questions, that's when you ought to be worried. Right. I mean, it's people that don't ask those questions. Those are the scary people. Um, the people that ask those questions and have those serious reservations and conversations with themselves, uh, I would think that's normal human nature, right? It's wanting to care for those you, you love, wanting to care for yourself. Um, not, you know, I don't think we're wired to just be nuts. Uh, and I would suggest that if you're not asking yourself those questions, you probably are a little nuts. Uh, I think you are wired to be nuts, um, Mark, but, uh, and I, and I, <laughs> I want to talk. We're, we're before we get to to your sailboat trip. I just want to set the premise for this a little bit. So um, there's two things I want to talk about. One is you. I just want you to to clarify for for my audience here. What is an ultra marathon runner? And tell us about the Devil's Double uh, because the the magnitude of those they're they're kind of mind numbing to me. You know, I think the most. I've ever run at one time is like maybe 10 or 11 miles. And, and I felt like I'd run around the circumference of the earth a dozen times at that point and felt it for several days after, but uh, give us, give us the technical breakdown of ultra marathon and, and, and lead man in the, in the devil's deal down in Nicaragua. Yeah, got it. Uh, listen, ultra marathon, if you've ever read the book born to run and for any of your listeners that are listening, if you have not read the book born to run, you most definitely do not need to be a runner to enjoy that book. It's an amazing book about people and the human spirit. And I would highly recommend it, but, uh, but read born to run. Um, but by definition, any race that exceeds 26.2 miles, that's the, the length of a marathon is considered an ultra marathon. So uh, technically, if you ran 26.3 miles, that would be an ultra marathon. Uh, th there aren't any races at that length. The shortest ultra marathon is 50 kilometers, which is round about 31 miles. And then they go up to 50 miles and 100 miles. And, and you know, there's some 200 mile ultra marathons now. So it's any race that exceeds the, the standard length of a marathon is considered an ultra marathon. Um, Leadman is a series of six events in Leadville, Colorado, that is a, which is the highest city in America, in North America, 12,600 feet above sea level, the city of Leadville, Colorado, and you run up from there. And so there's a trail marathon, and then you have a break in a, for the week, and then the following weekend or, or two weekends later, there's a 50-mile mountain bike race on Saturday, a 50-mile trail ultramarathon on uh, Sunday, and then you come back and do a 100-mile mountain bike race. It's the largest 100-mile uh, mountain bike race in the world. The year I was uh, in Leadville was the Olympic year and got to race with all the Olympic teams. And uh, that was really, really cool to see all those guys. They are crazy fast and strong. Um, and then you run a 10K the day after that. And then five days later, you run the Leadville 100, which is a lie. It's 103 miles, which you may say, what's the difference? Trust me, when you've run 100 miles, you don't want to go three miles more, uh, but it's actually 103 miles. And if you do all of those in sequence, it's called Leadman. Most people would compete, compete in one of those events on any given year. If you do the whole thing in the summer, uh, there, uh, it's called Leadman. And I was the 15th person uh, to do that. And then when I turned uh, 50, um, I was looking for something to do that hadn't been done by a 50-year-old before, and there's a survival run in Nicaragua called Fuego y Agua, Fire and Water Survival Run, and it's an ultramarathon that's set on an island in the middle of Nicaragua Lake that has two volcanoes, and over the course of this ultramarathon, you climb two volcanoes, um, you're carrying stuff, you're diving, you're open water swimming, uh, and the premise of the race is you're told when it starts you're giving some general ideas about what to, to prepare for. You're given a, 
a list of items that you're required to carry with you. And then at the start, when the gun goes off, Josue, the, the race director, says, run that way down the beach. And in 10 kilometers, there'll be somebody on the beach. They'll tell you what to do, and you do it from there. And so you have no idea what's coming at you. You run down the beach for 10K, you get there. There's a dude, in my case, that you changes every year. In my case, there's a dude standing there and says, see that island out there? Two miles out. Uh, swim out there. When you get there, he'll somebody's there will tell you what to do. You dive in the water and you open water, swim. You get there. The guy out there on the island says, here, here's an egg, literally a chicken egg. Uh, hold that. And uh, you've got to carry that with you from now on. You'll be asked to show it periodically. If you break it, you have to replace it. No, oh, by the way, swim back to shore. And so you swim back to shore and you get to shore and then another guy tells you, right? Anyway, you do this thing for an undetermined length of time. And through this series of events, it was an absolute blast. Uh, that's called um, uh, the, the Nicaragua survival run. But if you do that event and then 30 hours later do the same but just an ultra marathon the fuego y agua 100k where you do those two volcanoes one volcano you do twice the other you do one time in 100 kilometers which is 62 miles of running if you do both of those back to back that's called the devil's double and, and when i when i did that uh, i became actually the only person in the world who is uh, a leadville lead man and a devil's double champion so uh anyway pretty fun that is amazing. That is so awesome. Oh my gosh. Oh, I, I have so many questions about that. And, but the one that I want to ask you is how did you swim two miles without breaking the egg? How, like, did you just slip it in your shorts? Did your shorts have pockets? Did you put it in your mouth? Like, how did you carry the egg for two miles, man? Yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure, actually, and it was ironic, the, the shorts that I wear, actually, the Pearl Izumi running shorts that I like, have a little zipper pocket in the back, and I zipped that, and the egg actually fit in there, <laughs> and it zipped right in, and I could totally swim with the egg just in there. I did break it once, actually, because one of the rules of the race is that you can't, you can't get any help or aid from anyone in the race or related to the race. But if you run into a local, you can ask for help if you need to barter, buy food. So you actually have to carry money with you during the race. And so I was running through the middle of the night. I went by this kid and he had a little stand set up. And you know how like, a lot of times in Latin America, you see these little tiendas, right? That are just on the side of the road. He had some Oreo cookies and some things like that. And I was just needing calories, right? And so I run over there and I, and I was trying to find my money, my backpack. And when I pulled my money out, my egg fell on the oh, ground no. and broke. <laughs> and uh, this is like the fifth or sixth year they've had the survival run there. So everybody knew like, oh, these dudes have to like, and, and, and this, this little kid, you know, he's like 12 or 13 years says, momentito. And he goes running off and like 30 seconds later shows up with an egg <laughs> and a, and a Sharpie. And, uh, and we wrote my number, which is on my arm, you know, wrote my number on the egg and I wrapped it back up in a little, little, you know, towel, stuck it back in my backpack. And that, that egg actually survived the rest of the race. So kind of funny. That, Just kind of a weird thing they do. That is awesome. What a great experience. That is, that is amazing. You know, uh, we, we probably should just do a podcast series with you, Mark, uh, and, and just talk about each of these adventures one at a time. So, so I, Mark and I met in 2015, we have a common friend in Tim Cobb. Tim is sort of like the coach of this absurd, uh, ultra running team. Uh, they call themselves the hyperventilation and what they do is they go and they run like Ragnars, which are these 200 plus mile, um, you know, relay races. And most people run it with 12 guys and these nut jobs, they run it with six. And so that the big island of Hawaii was, was doing their first and turns out their only uh, Ragnar in 2015. And so Tim had asked me to come along and film, film the team. And uh, Mark, Mark is the senior statesman on that team. And so I got to know Mark over the course of the the 24-hour race and and afterwards and spent some time with him and just was supremely impressed at you know his his physique for one because he's a he's a 50 plus year old in a 24 year old body and um and and film and, and you know you learn a lot about a guy when he's sleep deprived and running his brains out you know for a day straight and then after afterwards we spent some time together talking well we were, we were sitting at lunch or dinner. I can't remember which one of these days. And somebody, somebody said something about, oh yeah, Mark went sailing for a year with his kids. 
And it, and I and I turned to Mark and I said, "Wait a minute, you gotta you gotta clarify a few things about that statement. Uh, like you, you went sailing periodically throughout the year." And and Mark said, "No, no, I we left for a year straight, and we sailed with my wife and my two kids." And uh, and I proceeded to prod him to death about that experience. And and so I want it. I want to spend the remainder of our time, Mark, talking about that experience, why you did it, how how you came up with the idea, and you know, and kind of explore what this was because you know, as we have seen, yeah. you know, in the in the fifteen minutes or so I've been talking to you already, what we've seen is that you're you're kind of accustomed to doing things a little bit outside the lines. Um, and, and that your boundaries, your boundaries are blurry when it comes to, you know, what you want to do and, and, and why you do things. So tell us about how this came to be. You didn't have any sailing experience. You, the first question I asked you, if you remember, is I said, so are you just wealthy? Are you just a rich guy? You can just like leave for a year, uh, and come to find out that's not the case. That's not the case either. Mark is not just some rich dude who can just quit work for a year and go do it. So there was, there was a ton of things that you had to put in a row in order to pull this thing off. And, and, uh, I mean, it's just an amazing experience. So tell us where the idea came from Mark and, and, and some of the early challenges that, that came along with it. Yeah, you bet. Uh, let me just clarify a couple of things though, Kelly. First, when you said, uh, we run Ragnars uh, for my teammates' uh, benefit. Not only do we run Ragnars, but we win them. Just have to throw that out there. That, that yes, this is very true. Yep, this is very true. They beat uh, and and let me let me tell let me clarify that, Mark. So, and, and this was my first Ragnar experience. Obviously, I'm not a runner, and and I've had I've had some runners on the show. Mark Bresson here in Spokane, who founded Active Free Youth, he's a big runner, and we talked a lot about running. I I do I run when I have to during during COVID. I ran a little bit, but so the way that they set these Ragnars up is the faster your team is, the later you start in the day. So they start people all throughout the day. And so this team, hyperventilation that I was videoing their, you know, their race for, they they were dead last they to start. The last the very, last. very. There were six teams that started dead last, and uh, and you guys beat every single one of those teams. You passed every single. I mean, it was unbelievable watching you guys just, you know, take over. There was 250 teams or something like that. Uh, but anyway, they're a blast. I didn't mean to go off on that sideline. The other thing I need clarification, though, for you, for your listeners is that when Kelly says I'm the senior statesman, what you need to hear there is I'm the slow guy, right? So, <laughs> so I'm the slow guy to all these young studs. So uh, that's the other thing. And then uh, the other thing is we did go sailing, Kelly, but we actually went for 17 months. So it was a bit over a year uh, and we left. But to answer your question, um, what was the genesis of the idea? Uh, in the early 90s, I met a guy named Peter J. Daniels. He's an Australian businessman, uber wealthy guy. He was actually in Denver, and I don't recall, but somehow through a friend I met him, I had read a couple of his books. And he challenged me to sit down and write a list of the 20 things I wanted to accomplish in life, a bullet list, if you will, before, I'm, I'm sorry, a bucket list, yeah. if you will, before that bucket yeah. list term was even used. Uh, and on that list was a whole host of things uh, from a cool car that I wanted to own, that I wanted a, a sushi kitchen in my house. Uh, I mean, some kind of crazy stuff like that, travel things, family-related things, those sorts of things. But one of the things that was also on that was I wrote to go sailing with my family for a year. And what you need to recognize is that, one, I didn't have a family at that point. I was married, but we had not had children yet. And I had never been sailing in my life. Now, I knew I liked boats and liked the water and that sort of thing. But that idea was just there. It was just sort of this dream kind of almost written on my heart that I still to this day can't explain or or tell you where it came from or what its genesis was. It was simply there. And so for years, Susan and I had talked about, boy, wouldn't it be fun to take our family and go experience culture and do all these sorts of things? Um, 
And we actually made plans a couple of times and, and tried to sort of lay the groundwork to make it happen. But for one reason or another, business or timing or something, it just it just didn't materialize, right? And we went through a fairly extensive process on two different occasions that never ended up in us leaving and going to do this with our kids. Um, but that third iteration, when we were sitting there, or we were actually in the car driving back from Scottsdale to Idaho and Boise, where we live, and uh, we were driving along, kids were asleep, Susan was in the car, uh, she looked over at me and she says, I'm ready to go. And uh, I knew what she meant. And uh, that was January 1st, it was New Year's Day, we were driving home January 2nd. We uh, we got online, started researching sailboats. I had a buddy who had been a sailor, and I called him and said, hey, listen, help me understand what I ought to be looking at. We had owned some larger power boats before, but never a sailboat. This whole notion of putting a handkerchief up in the air and <laughs> somehow the wind blows and you get where you want to go. I have no idea how that happens. I'm, I'm like a, an engine guy, you know, 454. The bigger the displacement, the more noise they make, cool. Uh, this whole sailing thing was completely void to me. Um, and we just started looking and, uh, we ended up uh, finding a boat that was in Panama, a, a couple of built a boat and sailed for seven years. We're in Panama, bought a ranch, put the boat on the market for sale. We found it. I flew down there in the summer. We, I bought it and, uh, um, and, uh, you know, that fall, Susan and I flew out, spent a week kind of getting it ready to go, if you will. And the following January 5th, uh, we, crawled on board with our kids and uh, and left. And we spent a couple of weeks getting it kind of provisioned and stocked with food and we untied from the dock and, and we headed out. And uh, and we just said, we're going to, we're going to go for it and give it a whirl. And, uh, and off we went. So, um, so you spent, was, <clears throat> you spent that entire year, you know, learning, learning the logistics of sailing, how to navigate, buying a boat, preparing the boat, you know, and then picking it up. That was essentially, that's, that, that was a year long process. It, it was. And, you know, for us, the, the tenants of seamanship, because we'd owned some larger boats, anchoring navigation, we knew those things, right? And so, but it was the whole idea of sailing versus a powerboat so mm -hmm. that we had to kind of get comfortable with. And I did, I just read what I, I had. The guy that I bought the boat from actually was a powerboater before they moved onto a sailboat. And he said, look, Mark, it has an engine. Don't get frustrated. If you get frustrated and the wind's not cooperating and you're just kind of fed up, he said, turn the motor on, set the autopilot, and just pretend you're a trawler and just get where you're going, <laughs> right? And so, you know, we stayed closer to land. You know, we didn't do any transatlantic or transpacific crossings day one or, you know, anything like that. But we headed out into the ocean. I mean, we headed out and we left. and We spent 17 months uh, sailing all throughout northern uh, Central, uh, South America, all of Central America, Western Caribbean, the Bahamas, Cuba, all that part of the world. It had just an amazing experience as a family. So obviously Susan he, he knew what she had signed up for because you were high school sweetheart. So she kind of knew you were a guy who was a little off yeah. his rocker. Is, is she the voice of reason <laughs> in your relationship or is she as crazy as you are? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. We would have uh, we would have flown the plane into the ground a long time ago if it wasn't for Susan. Um, so she's 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 definitely that uh, sort of rational, reasoned mind there. But I, w I would have to say, um, you know, she's she's all in. Right. I mean, she's she's game for the stuff. Um, she she would tell you, Kelly, that um, she's been 100 percent on board for all this stuff. But it probably wouldn't have been her idea to go. You know, it, it wouldn't have been her idea. She wouldn't have been pushing the envelope. But when I said, hey, you want to go sailing for a year? Sure, let's do it. Right. And so she's always been um, um, a stable, thoughtful, uh, careful, but enthusiastic and encouraging partner in the journey for sure. Now that is that is awesome, and I and I think having a, a supportive partner, you know, who understands, who who has supreme confidence in what you're doing, but also acts as that barometer reality check. I think uh, I think is you know what what makes us. I mean, that's exactly what Annie is to me. She has a a ridiculously high amount of faith in in my success and the things that I want to do. Um, 
sometimes to a fault, yeah. but, but also, you know, bears that voice of reason. So tell me, tell me how old were your kids when you guys finally went and, and, and how did they respond to this? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Kelly. And one I get often when talking about this, you know, when you talk about uh, earlier on, we talk about, do you ever sort of doubt yourself and second, second guessing and questions and that sort of thing. One of the biggest ones I had sailing was, was I dragging my kids along on my dream, right? So do my, my, my kids, do they become kind of collateral damage because their dad's a wacko, you know, and wants to just like disconnect from normal society and go jump on a sailboat, you know, and, and go sailing all over kingdom come. Right. And, and, and I really struggled with that. Um, and that was even early on in our sailing experience. That was a constant sort of, of in the back of your mind kind of thought, you know, what is this doing? Right. And, and what will the effect be on your kids? Our kids were seven and nine when we left. Uh, hold it. I did that backwards. Our kids were uh, nine and 11. Sorry. When we left, and um, so just had finished um, seventh grade and had just had finished fifth grade, I think, if I remember correctly. So we got a curriculum that there, you know, our, our school's curriculum happened to have a homeschool curriculum kind of in concert with it. So we just absorbed that curriculum, brought it onto the boat. Um, and, and we just decided that we were going to continue. I, I tell everybody I was the PE instructor. And Susan did everything else. So, and, and PE for me was, you know, let's go diving, right? Uh, and let's go snorkeling and find some cool fish and, and observe their behavior and report back and open a fish ID book up, find the fish, tell me what they were doing, uh, that kind of stuff, right? And Susan did everything else. I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but that's pretty, pretty accurate, actually. Our kids, Kelly, today, um, I bet once a month, one of my kids will say to me, you know, dad, I wish we'd have kept sailing. Um, as incredibly successful as our kids have been, uh, both of them in their own, own rights, they look back and recognize, um, how, um, how remarkable that experience was and how valuable it was in their lives. They talk about it all the time. We all had dinner together on, on a Saturday evening with Amy and her husband at their new home, uh, celebrating my mom, their grandma's birthday. And we are all together and sailing was a part of that conversation. Still, uh, you know, Marshall's in a cock strapping into a cockpit in the air force every day. And, uh, Amy and Mark are involved in outreach and real estate and missions and all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, and yet still that, that shared experience as a family is something none of us would trade for anything in life to, to get to spend 24 seven, which may sound, um, horrible is <laughs> that sometimes, but to be 24 seven with your kids where you were not diverted, you were fully present. You were attentive all the time. We were taking on the same storms. We were tackling the same language barriers. We were jumping in the water and, and chasing after the same hammerhead shark together or diving down and trying to spear the same group. Or, you know, when all of that in the aggregate, when you walk away from that experience, uh, it changes you. It changes the, it changes the tapestry, the fabric of your lives, how you're interconnected. Uh, our son and daughter are best friends. Um, they would, you know, aside from one spouse and the other, you know, soon to be spouse, um, other than that, they would rather be with each other than, than any, any of their friends. And I think I really attribute so much of that to our shared experience on the sailboat. It, man, it just gives me chills just hearing you talk about it. Um, so one of the questions that I, that popped into my head while you were, you know, talking about this is, you know, we all, we all know the sexy part of sailing or we can imagine it, right? You know, the, the sand yeah. beaches and the clear water and the snorkeling and the cool fish and the, you know, the fresh air and the, you know, the, you know, avoiding traffic and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, but what was the, what was the unsexy day-to-day -day part of this? I mean, 17 months is a dang long time. And so what, I mean, what was the reality of your, of your every day on the boat? What did that look like? And 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 how did you how did you guys you know deal with that as a family? Yeah, thanks, Kelly. You know, I think for us probably as a family, the biggest stress point was homeschooling. Um, 
right? Because, you know, I can't tell you how many times Amy and Marshall would be sitting in the salon of the boat. You know, they, they had about an hour's worth of math they needed to do. And, you know, they're kicking each under the table and being kids, right? Doing normal kid stuff. And you're just going, good night. Would you just knock it off? Just get the work done so we can go snorkeling or we can go, you know, explore this island or, or do whatever, right? And that, that kind of stuff would happen. And yet, even given that, there were so many funny stories when, the, you know, they would get to pestering each other. I'd say, all right, everybody, I'd say, out you go. They'd say, what are you talking about? I said, get in the dinghy. You know, one time I put them both in the dinghy and I just untied it. The tender, the, the painter, which is the line that you tie the dinghy to the main boat with. I just let it all the way out, tied it off and just left them out there. They said, what are you doing? <laughs> when you two figure out how to get along, you can come back on the boat. Until then, you're staying in the dinghy. Well, guess what? It doesn't take very long and the bickering turns to laughing and they realize how silly it is. We pull them back in, they go sit down, finish their math, and we go snorkeling, right? But that that homeschooling thing, I think, was the one thing that we think about was uh, part. And part of that may be that neither Susan and I are educators. And so, you know, we probably don't have wonderful pedagogy in terms of, uh, of, uh, of our teaching style, that sort of thing, you know. Um, but the other piece of that, Kelly, is that it's life, right? You have to do laundry. You have to cook meals. Um, there's systems involved and so things break and you got to fix them and, and things need to be maintained, engines and generators and water makers. And so there's, there, there's all that sort of normal stuff of life, uh, that still happens. So whether you decide, you know, whether you've got a, a listener whose dream is to move into a van and do the van life thing and, and go, you know, drive from Alaska to Patagonia, by the way, if they do, let me know. Cause I want to do that too. Uh, you know, in a van, you know, there's going to be tons of amazing experiences, right? But there's also flat tires and oil changes and, you know, and the stuff that goes along with uh, living out a dream that involves some sort of mechanism. And so there's, there's just that stuff. I've often said, though, what's really remarkable about this sailing lifestyle, and it used to crack me up, Kelly, because everybody, when I was, before we left, you know, they talk about the lifestyle, right? I'm like, who are you weird people? I mean, <laughs> the lifestyle. You're just going sailing. It's not a lifestyle, but it is. It's a lifestyle. And these folks that are in this lifestyle of sailing, there's a different rhythm to it. And, you know, it was amazing to, to live life with a rhythm where I knew I had to change the oil on the generator, you know, some every so many hours, but it was never, there was rarely ever this sense of like urgency or pressure. It has to happen today, right? Because if it doesn't happen today, there's going to be some detrimental effect tomorrow. And this, this, this living, this lifestyle where, where things are less structured, less hurried, um, allows for things like an oil change on a generator to happen this morning. Or tomorrow afternoon. Now, it, does, it can't happen two months from now because that's probably not good for the generator, right? But there's not this, this sort of sense of, I got to do it now because I've got 37 other things today that I've got to get done or XYZ is not going to happen. And, and, and that was really one of the uh, amazing benefits or blessings of living on the sailboat and developing this new or different kind of rhythm to life. Um, is that it allowed you to prioritize the things that were clearly priorities, right? Relationships, experiences, those sorts of things, not changing the oil on your generator. It still needs to happen, but it doesn't need to happen in the sense that it truncates or pushes away a relationship opportunity and an experience opportunity, that sort of thing. That's a really interesting thing to talk about because the the non-islander or non-sailor in me um, it's, it's like, oh yeah, the, the island time is just kind of like being lazy and taking life, you know, as it comes and which is the antithesis of what you are. You are the, this like, you know, ultra disciplined, you know, crazy runner guy who'd run to Mars and back if they had that race, you know, how, how did, how did the island life and the, the Mark Wheeler disciplined athlete guy, I mean, how, how did those things mesh and how did it make you a better person as a result of understanding that, that lifestyle? Yeah. You know, Kelly, I had, uh, my very best friend who, who's also named first name is Kelly. Yeah. He's uh, awesome. Who's the, the, my buddy, but my, yeah, he is awesome. Uh, my buddy who I referenced was a sailor. That's Kelly. 
uh, you know, he's known me. We, we met in, in camp when we were in sixth grade. We've been best friends ever since. And, uh, you know, Kelly said to me, he says, Wills, you, dude, you're never going to be able to live life at six knots. That just doesn't work for you, right? I mean, 60 knots maybe, but six knots. And, and I said, no, nah, I think I can do it, you know? And, and what we told ourselves, Kelly, this is another, I think, interesting piece of the story, is that Susan and I made the commitment to try this for 100 days, right? Because we didn't know. We didn't really know if we liked sailing. Now, I knew I liked sailing when I was sitting on Kelly's boat and he was doing all the work <laughs> and he was bringing me a cup of coffee in the morning and I'm watching the sunrise. That's really cool, but that's not sailing, right? That's not what I was signing up for. And so we said, we don't really know if we're going to like this. We may go down there and go crazy. I mean, we may all want to like strangle each other. So we committed to spending 100 days, right? We are not going to quit short of 100 days. It's sort of like running a 100-mile race, right? Outside of, you know, I tell my crew when I race, outside of a compound fracture or an, or an arterial bleed under no circumstance, do you allow me to quit? whatever I say, whatever you see me going through, whatever it is, unless they have to hire, unless you have to fly a medevac helicopter to get me, you do not let me quit. Right. So it's that level of kind of commitment that we made to sailing was that we're going to spend a hundred days. If it gets just really unpleasant and unfun, we're going to know it's only a hundred days. We're going to do that. I tell you, we got to 100 days and blew past that so fast, we never even looked in the rearview mirror, right? But I do think you have to enter uh, new experiences, new challenges, adventures with that kind of a mindset is that, one, I wasn't going to view myself as a failure if I came home at day 101, right? I wasn't somehow a failure if, if I came home at day 101. I wanted to try it. I knew I'd never done it before. I didn't know if I was going to like it. I was hopeful I was going to like it. I thought I was going to like it, but I didn't know, right? So I wasn't going to view myself as a failure if I came home at day 101 and I wasn't going to quit on myself and my family early. And so, you know, we kind of went blowing through that and that was part of the process. And you know what, Kelly, I completely forgot what your question was. Oh, it was it was about the island time, island life, right? No, I mean- Oh, island time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Again, yeah. And so yeah. the island time became, uh, it, it was that lifestyle that they refer to. It's this different sort of rhythm. But the reality of living on a sailboat is it's not sitting around drinking drinks with little umbrellas in, um, because there is always something to do on the boat. And if you are, um, fascinated, intrigued, curious about the world around you, you know, when you get to the San Blas Islands, which are in between Colombia and Panama, if you're curious at all about people and the natural world and life and the ocean, you know, there is more to do in a lifetime uh, in that place than you could do. So staying active was not, in fact, Susan and I would tell you, uh, probably the healthiest we've ever been in our lives because just everything you do is active. You're eating fresh food. You're eating fresh vegetables. Everything in terms of your diet is fresh. You're out in the sun all the time in terms of fresh air. Even just the fact that the boat is always in motion, your core is always engaged. You know, mm -hmm. if you want to get to kind of a pure physical aspect, mm -hmm. it's just a remarkably robust and healthy way to live. Um, and, and we never got bored. The, the, that's the farthest thing fr from whatever happened. We were never bored and we were rarely just kind of sitting around twiddling our thumbs. And if we were, I was sitting because I was reading a really good book. The adventure in me just loves this idea. I, I mean, I, I would be, I would be happy as a clam, you know, the different ports of call, the different people, the different foods, you know, exploring the water, exploring the land, the snorkeling, the scuba. I mean, that, you know, that side of it just is so appealing. One of the things I want to, and my biggest question when, when you first told me about this was the financial side of it, you know, how, how did you pull this off from a financial aspect? How did it impact your career? And, and, and what would you say, what, what advice would you give to somebody who, who wants to complete, and, and it could be a number of things, Mark. I mean, there, there, there are, you know, folks in my audience who, who want to quit their jobs and start their own business, or they want to do a, you know, a crazy adventure like yours, or they want to, you know, they want to, they want to launch a new product. They, you know, how, how do you get over the, the fear and, and, you know, 
the unknown of, of the financial side, when you're going from, I got this great job, everything's going great to, I'm going to disrupt this apple cart in a major way. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me see if I can answer that in a couple of ways, Kelly. Um, that is by far the most common question, right? That folks ask, because the assumption is you must be, you know, some uber wealthy guy and you just buy some big gigantic boat and a crew and you head off into the, into the never, never land and your, you know, your, your trust fund manager takes care of all the bills at home kind of thing. Right. Um, and I, I actually had the, the wife of a very, very good friend of mine say before we left, well, if we could afford to do that, we would do that too. And I looked at her and you have to understand these are really good friends. So I, I have a relationship that allowed me to be very, very direct, much more direct than I would be with someone I didn't know very well. Right. And I said to her, I said, well, uh, give me control of your finances in one year. I'll have you on a boat. Well, what are you talking about? I said, you give me control of your finances. And in one year, well, you don't know how much we make. Well, I kind of do because I know what your husband does and he works in the public sector. And I, but that doesn't make any difference. Give me control of your finances and in one year. I'll have you on a boat. Well, what's that look like? Well, we're not doing pedicures. We're not doing manicures. We're not going and getting two Starbucks a day. We're not buying seasonal wardrobes, right? Whoa, 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 right? And so I looked at that person, this, this, this friend of mine, this gal, and I said, well, you know what that tells me? What? You don't really want to go sailing. And that's the truth, right? If, if, if you want to go sailing, if you want to start a company, if you want to launch a new product line or a new innovation in your company, if you want to move into a van, if you want to, you know, go to Nepal and trek for three or four months, if you truly want to do that, you'll figure it out, right? When we were sailing, uh, we had this wonderful opportunity to sail with two different couples. Um, and what you'll notice when you sail, if you go sailing, is that most people follow the trade winds. And the trade winds generally circle the globe in a clockwise fashion. And so if you insert yourself in a circle here, there's going to be other people in that. And they're, they're likely to be following the same winds, right? And so what happens is you, you start sailing and you start bumping into the same people repetitively. Mm -hmm. Because all the really cool spots, everybody wants to go to, right? So you go to the kind of cool spots together and you end up seeing folks. One couple we met, Julian Slater, met in Spain at, at an environmental uh, like sit-in thing up in the hill highlands of Spain. She was from England. He was from New Hampshire. Uh, young kids in their 20s. They met. They fell in love. They got married. And they said, we want to go sailing. They'd never owned a sailboat before. England boats are really expensive. They flew to San Francisco. He got a part-time job working at West Marine, so he would get a discount on parts. Uh, they bought this little boat steel hull boat it was structurally sound but no refrigeration no water maker no creature comforts and julian slater left and they went sailing and when we intercepted julian slater in the bay islands of honduras they had been sailing for almost three years wow. and we spent a bunch of time together and finally one day i said to slater i said slater can i ask you a really personal question i said yeah he said sure i said when you bought your boat how much what did you pay for your boat $10,000. Really? And, and how much did you put into it before you left? I put another $10,000 in, in instrumentation parts, that kind of thing. And I said, Slater, when you left to go sailing, how much money did you and Julie have? He said, everything we had, we sold that didn't fit on the boat. And we had $5,000 in cash. And they left. And three years later, they're sailing. Now, they would save enough money so that they would go nine or 10 or 11 months. And when they needed to make some money, they would put their boat on the hard, which is when they pull the boat out of the water and put it on land with blocks underneath it. And they would fly home to New Hampshire. They would get part-time jobs. They'd work for six or seven months. They'd be really frugal. They'd save their money. And boink, they'd go back to the sailboat and they'd keep sailing. And when we ran into Julian Slater, they were on their third iteration of that plan. So no water maker, no refrigeration. They ate local food, they, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? In fact, Julie would come by occasionally, knock on the hull of the boat, and she was saying, she said, Mark, are you making ice today? And she, <laughs> and she, cause she would want a little Ziploc of ice cause she loved ice while she would have Coke or Pepsi and she would love to put ice cubes in it, right? It was a real treat for her. We ran into another couple, Kelly, who sold a chain of boutique hotels in South Africa. <laughs> They're on a 50-foot catamaran. <laughs> they had three children. They had full-time crew, and he had a chest freezer on the back of this fantastic 
you know, million dollar catamaran had Haagen-Dazs ice cream in it, right? So you go from Haagen-Dazs ice cream to no water maker and asking for ice. And yet the amazing thing was every sunrise we watched was the same. Every sunset that we, we shared was the same. We dove the same reefs. Those, the, us three guys, we chased the same grouper spearfishing, right? Julian Slater's experience was materially absolutely no different than the big catamaran from South Africa, which is kind of the other extreme, right? And us, which is somewhere in the middle of that sort of spectrum, right? And so I would just say that, that, um, we get so hung up, right? On, on, on the material aspect of, of living life as, ex, uh, living life experientially to our detriment. If you want to go sailing, you'll figure it out. If you're Julian Slater, you'll figure it out. If you sell your chain of hotels, you probably don't have to figure so much, so much out, but, but you, but you'll get that figured out. And so, um, you know, we did the same thing. We just made the commitment that I was in the middle of my professional life. Uh, I was actually sort of unplugging and probably my highest network, network, net worth earning potential years, right? And you have to make that decision. What do you want to do? Do you want to actually file a bigger tax return next year? Or do you want to have your kids, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years later say to you, dad, I wish we were still sailing. Right. Um, I'll take the data. I wish we were still sailing any day over anybody's checkbook um, because I that is what life is all about. Right. And so if your dream is to build a business, if your dream is to start a business, if your dream is to go on adventure, to go experience something, um, I would say there's a way to make it happen. Get good counsel, talk to folks, figure it out and then recognize that often and I would say, and this is my bias, the only things in life that I now deeply cherish are the things that cost me, right? The only runs I remember are the ones that are really hard. I don't remember the easy ones because they were easy, right? I don't remember the life adventures and experiences in life that were easy. I remember the hard ones because there was sweat involved. There was dirt involved. There was, the, the, there was hard work involved. I look back on those with fond memories. I can't even tell you the easy ones because I don't even remember them. Um, so, you know, if you're, if you're ready to kind of step up the plate and say, I'm willing to do the hard work, I'm willing to dig deep, I'm willing to make some sacrifices, all I can say is in my humble experience, uh, I've not made sacrifices stretching towards goals in life that I've ever regretted making because they've all been worth it. Man, whoa, dude. I want to go. I want to go. Clyde Kilimanjaro right now. <laughs> you are <laughs> now. Let's run it. It's man. runnable. You can run Kilimanjaro. Oh, yeah, it's just. It is so. It is so exciting and enabling and motivating to hear you talk about this experience and 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 it's something something that we talk about with our kids all the time. It's just like you you get to you get to write this story. You get to be what you want to be. And it's, and it's applicable today to me as a 40 year old, as it is to my teenage kids, as it is to my, you know, my, my mom and my parents, you know, what, what do you want to do and, and what are you willing to make it happen? I love, I love that story. You know, I remember you telling me that story about, you know, your friends and you want to go sailing, give me your finances and I can send you sailing. I think that is such powerful material. What do you want to do? And what are you, how, how bad do you want to do it? And what are you willing to do to get there? Because there's a way, there's a path to get there. The question is, you know, what are you willing to do to make that happen? Yeah. And, and, you know, unfortunately we, we live in a world, Kelly, where instant gratification is the thing, right? I mean, if we can't get on our phone and Google something and immediately get an answer, we're frustrated. Right. Yeah. Um, and so we, we become yeah. so instant gratification, uh, oriented as a culture that this whole notion of like actually really hunkering down and really doing the disciplined hard work, not for 30 seconds, but maybe for 30 days or for 30 months, right? Day in and day out. It's, it's that kind of stuff that I think, unfortunately, um, probably we lost when we were no longer an agrarian society where we had to get up every morning and work to put food on the table, right? It just changes. And I'm not, 
lamenting the fact that I don't have to go plow a field this morning. Um, but I am saying as, as we develop and times change, um, we need to not let the lessons that those times taught us and those disciplines, we need to not let them get away from us. Well, that which we receive too easily, we esteem too lightly. And 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 the problem with our society is it's Amen, is it's easy for things to be fairly easy, and 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 to have discomfort requires effort, you know, in a lot of ways. And as I think back in my life, I love what you talk about with the runs that I remember are the hard runs. I mean, that is that is so true. The things that were the most worth it in our lives are the things that were the hardest. I, I wore this hat for this interview because it um, it stands for the All Brothers Hike, and uh, you know I have you know I have four brothers and two brothers in law, and we are a really tight knit group, and we go on an annual adventure, and every year we kind of push ourselves you know to our to our physical limit on purpose because they just create these unbelievable memories you know for us, and you know. And, and it's, you know, it's just like, it's just like what you're talking about. You know, one of the, when I was training for uh, this whole lead man process, Kelly, I, I love to read, read all the time. And, uh, and I'll often find a little quote or something. I'll kind of glom onto it, you know, and just kind of hold on for dear life sometimes. And one of those I found was in one of T.S. Eliot's writings where he says, only those who are willing to go too far can possibly know how far one can go. Mm. Um, and if you just kind of sit with that for a while, right, um, it, it alludes back to my comment earlier where I said, you don't go from being a hundred meter, uh, you know, hurdler in junior high school to becoming a lead man or a devil's double champion. That just doesn't happen with one decision, right? It's all those little incremental decisions where you push the envelope just a little bit. You kind of pushed up against the edge and you realize, ah, I didn't get hurt or I didn't die or I didn't, you know, it, it didn't ruin me to do that. And it gives you the confidence to just push a little bit further and take another step, take another step and take another step. And, and I love that, that um, it's a it's a wonderful statement that unless we're willing to go too far, we'll never know how far we can go. Yeah, man. Hmm. I love it. Mark, you are you are. And I got to do. We got to do we got to do more podcasts together because we have barely scratched the surface on what you're about. But before we go, I want to tell you, uh, yeah, you know, I want to tell you about my socks. OK, so I love yes. I love socks. And, you know, part of the reason the name of the podcast is Socks and Soul is obviously socks is representative of humble beginnings of ideas. And then the soul socks and soul part of it is that it takes our whole soul, right? It takes everything we've got to make these things come true. And I just flip and love good socks. So I wore, I, I, I was thinking about your sailing adventure and I don't think you wore socks much when you were sailing. So I don't have any sailing socks per se, but I do have some running socks. And so, so I wore these, um, these, uh, these have stars and stripes on them in honor of your son. Um, nice. you know, an air force Academy, they're my, they're patriotic. They're very comfortable. They're made by a company named stance, which makes great, a great pair of socks. So, so that's, that, that, that's why I chose these socks today. Tell me, tell me about your socks and what your sock philosophy is. Got it. So I wore my stances this morning, uh, in the CrossFit gym cause they are my go-to lifting sock, right? I love stance socks, uh, but my favorite running socks, my son actually got me into from Sock Guy, and they actually make a compression running sock that's really uh, that, that's really great. That's my go-to sock, and I too have stars and stripes and and uh, Tabasco bottles and other things on my socks. <laughs> right? I don't know. I can't. I probably can't get. I'm too old. I can't get them up here yet. But I don't know if you can tell. I have a pink shirt on. So today I actually have on dress socks. Right. And they're gray and they have pink octopuses on them uh, to match my to match my pink shirt. And they are a gift from my daughter. Um, she's always looking for fun socks. And so I have my, my my pink octopuses on today to match my 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 pink shirt. So I love socks and I'm amazed at people. This is really weird, but I'm amazed at people who don't like think about their socks because when your feet are comfy, right? Like everything's comfy, right? Yes. How miserable is it when your feet aren't comfortable? Yes. Like why wouldn't you wear really comfortable, good socks? Yes. And socks are different. Yes. I, I, but, I don't know. I, anyway, I, kind of, kind of weird. Years ago, I, I, I decided that if it comes in a three pack or a five pack, I'm not buying it. 
my, my socks are like, they're like my children. They have their own personality and I choose them for different reasons, you know? And uh, so, you know, that's just one of my weirdnesses. Yeah, I don't buy my ties in three packs. I don't buy my socks in them either. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And one of the things that I always joke about is when I'm independently wealthy, I'm only going to wear brand new socks. Every day, I'm going to wear brand new socks. That's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Did I lose you again? Nope, you're back. I got you. Mark, I can't, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, to join me. I'm going to give you the last thought. Go ahead. Yeah. So I would say two things. Um, well, maybe, maybe more than two things, but, um, if you're curious, if any of your listeners are curious about the whole sailing adventure, if you'll go, um, our last name is Wheeler. And so for kind of a play on words, the number four, like you're going four wheeling, but four Wheeler. So not spelled out, but numerically four, four Wheeler sailing, dot blogspot.com you can actually read all of my blogs through that year and a half of sailing and and that that might be kind of fun to read if you have folks that are interested in sailing boy i i would just say this kelly uh if there's anything i want to i want to tell my kids i want to tell my friends is man if you've got something in your heart that you want to do you need to do it right uh don't let convention don't let um, money. Don't let all, don't let all the details of it. They've, they've got to be handled, but don't let the details of it stop you from chasing after your dream. Go get that thing. Uh, go build that company. Go start that company. Go, go take your family and adventure. Go do the stuff that from my humble opinion, I believe the Lord's written on our hearts, right? We have these things written uniquely on our hearts. Go get that stuff. Um, You'll be happier. Your family will be happier. Uh, generations to follow you will look back and say, I am glad that there was someone in my line who said, I'm going to do what was uniquely written on my heart. And they went and did it. You'll affect people's lives. You'll affect change. The world will be a better place. You'll be a better place. Go for it. Awesome. Awesome. I can't say it any better than that, Mark. You are, you are a treasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks you. Thank you, Kelly. Great to be with you. Good to see you. Awesome. Well, so this wraps up this episode with, uh, with my good friend, Mark Wheeler. He's an inspiration. He's a ridiculous athlete and he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's on to the next big thing. Uh, so that's it for this week's episode on the socks and soul podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. The socks and soul podcast is a production of ditto film media. If you enjoy this content, be sure to give it a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Join the conversation on Facebook at Socks and Soul Podcast.